0: I hope you picked up a a copy of the uh, sermon notes as you uh, came in. Um, We continue uh, our walk through the New Testament epistles to discover the one another verses that teach us as Christians how to love one another. Uh, The sermon series is entitled Excelling in Our Love for One Another. And today we come to lesson 12, esteeming leaders and dealing with problem children. Uh, Our focal passage is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 12 through 15, where we actually find two one another verses. Uh, At the end of verse 13 we read, live in peace with one another, uh, where the context is church members relating to their leaders. Then in the latter half of verse 15, we read, always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. And here the context is dealing, as we're going to see, with problem children in the church family. So let's begin by looking at verses 12 and 13, where Paul gives an exhortation to the church On esteeming leaders. Verse 12 But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. I think most of you are familiar with the fact that in Paul's letters to the churches, he always ends each letter by giving very direct, practical instructions on how to live the Christian life. And he most often uh, addressed areas of concern uh, for the specific churches. And this is exactly what Paul did here in the uh, last two chapters of 1 Thessalonians. And to give you a little background, uh, Paul, along with Timothy and Silas, uh, birthed the church. But they were forced to flee the city of Thessalonica after being there only a very, very uh, brief uh, period of time. And uh, this was due to uh, persecution that came against them. And what happened was that Paul became so concerned about how the church was doing, and especially in light of the persecution he knew they were uh, confronting, that he eventually sent Timothy back uh, to this uh, uh, church that had been newly birthed uh, to be able to gather him a report and uh, bring it back. But of course, he also sent Timothy to encourage the church, and we believe uh, to appoint uh, their, their first uh, leaders. And what probably prompted Paul to address the issue of church leadership in verses 12 and 13 was simply to affirm the newly appointed leaders and encourage the church family to support their leaders. Now going back to your sermon notes... Let's look at two things. First, the responsibility of the leaders to the church family. But then also, what should be the church's church family's attitude toward their leaders? So first, look at the responsibility of the leaders. And uh, you'll see uh, three very specific things there. First, Paul wrote, who diligently labor among you. Who diligently labor among you. The words, diligently labor... Or one word in the Greek text, it's the word kopio, which means to exert great effort to the point of exhaustion. Bottom line, a leader is called to work hard for the spiritual growth of the church by feeding the church with God's word, by protecting the church from false doctrine, and leading the church by providing A godly example. And a leader does this uh, through many means. Through evangelizing, uh, teaching, uh, counseling, praying, and ministering to the needs of the flock. What a shepherd is to his flock. What a father is to his family. An elder or pastor is to the church. With everything being motivated by his love for the church and his passion to see the Lord Jesus Christ glorified. Yes, a pastor is called to lead the church, but like a shepherd or father, he leads first and foremost by serving the church. And this is why we read uh, this exhortation to church leaders in 1 Peter chapter 5. This is a great cross reference, verses 2 and 3. He says, and he's writing this to pastors, to elders. He says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. So leaders are those who diligently labor among the church family uh, with an aim and ejected towards their spiritual growth. Look at the next responsibility captured by the words, have charge over you in the Lord. And that phrase, have charge over you, is in, uh, a very interesting uh, uh, Greek word. It's proistemi, and uh, and. What's actually written in our English Bibles is probably not the best translation of this word. Uh, A more accurate reading would be this. Who stand before you in the Lord. That would be the literal rendering from the Greek text. Who stand before you in the Lord. A leader is one who stands before the Lord to seek the spiritual welfare of the church. In other words... Yes, God calls leaders to preside over the church, but only for the purpose of serving the church and especially promoting spiritual growth. The chief characteristic of a Christian leader, as spelled out in the scriptures, is humility, not authority, gentleness, not power, self-sacrifice, not self-serving. Jesus said it best. In Mark 10, verses 42 through 45, as he addresses his disciples, he says, So Jesus called them together, and he said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will not be so. It will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you, Must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. So, a church leader, a pastor, a minister, an elder is to diligently labor among the church family. He's to have charge over them in the Lord, stand before them, seeking their spiritual welfare. But then the third thing, notice, he says, and they give you instruction. Give you instruction. The word instruction is no in the Greek text. The word refers to instruction in God's Word for a very specific purpose. It's captured in the word that's used. It's instruction for the purpose of correcting. And changing the conduct of a person. That's exactly what that word means. It is teaching that has an element of warning. Designed to direct the church into Christ-like character. That puts Christ on display before the eyes of a watching world. The primary calling... Of a church leader is to teach. To instruct the church in God's word. Realizing to be effective. He must be walk, a walking living epistle. Of that what he teaches and preaches. In other words. A church leader cannot impart to others. What he does not possess. So the most important qualification of a church leader is what? Integrity. Authenticity. Uh, To have a very deep, intimate walk with Jesus that becomes contagious. uh, That he can impart to others. Every church leader needs to be able to say what Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4 of the book of Philippians, verse 9. This is what he wrote. And every church leader should be able to stand before the church flock... And say this with integrity and authenticity. The things you have learned. The things you have received and heard and seen in me. In other words, what's Paul saying? He said, the things that I've taught you. The example that I've given you in my own life. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Now... Does this mean that a church leader is perfect or he never falters? Of course not. All you got to do is ask my wife and my children that one and they'll tell you their daddy is not perfect and I do very, very often falter and uh, even at my age, uh, I'm still finding myself asking forgiveness more than doing things right Uh, because Paul also wrote in Philippians 3, the same man that made that comment in chapter 4 9. He also said this in chapter 3. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us so our church leaders is someone that's in the race with you and he'll get tripped up he'll falter but he should also be out there taking the lead saying what follow me as we all follow Jesus Together. Now, look at the exhortation Paul gives to the church about their attitude uh, toward leaders. And the first thing that he says is, you're to appreciate them. Uh, It reads, appreciate those who diligently labor among you. That word appreciate, again, is probably not the best translation. In the Greek text, it's the word oida, and it and it literally means to know by experience. What Paul is communicating is this. Get to know your leaders. Get to know their strengths and their weaknesses. Their unique personalities, giftings, and yes, even their stupid quirks. Know that they are not superhumans. They are people just like you. People just like you who battle with temptation, struggle with adversity, have needs. And Desperately, desperately, desperately need your love, your encouragement, your prayers, and yes, at times, your correction. And I praise God for many of you over my 40 years at the church that at different times have lovingly come along my side, at times to encourage, but at times to correct. And I have appreciated that very, very greatly. Uh, Do not try to make your leaders out to be something that they're not. Learn to appreciate them for who they are, and especially for their heart for God, their love for the church, and that God called and placed them in the position they are in. So Paul says you're not only to appreciate your leaders, you're not only to know them, but you are to, notice the next thing, esteem them very highly in love. That word esteem literally means to think about. In other words, Paul is saying this is the way you need to think about your leaders. This is the attitude you should have toward your leaders. He's saying think of them highly and love them because of their what? Their work, their labor, that they are standing before me to seek your spiritual welfare. In other words, don't despise your leadership. But at the same time, don't flatter them. Simply respect them and love them for their work. So appreciate those who diligently labor among you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And then notice the third thing. Live in peace with them. Live in peace with them. In the Christian life, peace is always a byproduct of surrender to Christ. And doing things God's way as spelled out in His Word, right? Right? That's true peace as it would be defined biblically. It's a byproduct of surrendering to Christ, of just submitting to his authority, to serve his agenda, to seek his approval, being committed. I'm going to do things God's way as spelled out in his word. So, what I'm saying is this this is not my church. This is not the elders' church. This is not the deacons' church. This is Christ's church. And in God's word, we've been given the divine blueprint for the church. Therefore, peace in the church, and we're of course relating about talking about leaders, is dependent upon two things. It's not any more complicated than this, it's often difficult to live out from both ends. But here it is. First, leaders submitting to Christ and his word to serve the church. And then the church family submitting to Christ and his word by following their leaders. That's where peace comes. The leaders submitting to Jesus, submitting unreservedly to his word for one express purpose, to serve. To live lives of sacrifice for the spiritual growth of the church family. And then the church family is called to submit to Christ and His Word by following their leaders. You know, a great, great cross-reference right here is found in the last chapter of the book of Hebrews. There's two verses. Uh, This is Hebrews 13, verses 7 and verse 17. Verse 7 reads this way. Remember those who led you who spoke who taught the word of god to you and considering the result of their conduct imitate their faith so he says remember those who lead you who speak who teach the word of god to you and consider the result of their conduct and imitate their faith and then verse 17 obey your leaders and submit to them Why? Because they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. Because this would be what? Unprofitable for for you. For you. We now come to verses 14 and 15, which is about dealing with problem children in the church family. So uh, look there at verses 14 and 15. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Virtually every family at any level has to deal with problem children. And that's true in the church family as well. You know, one of the problems that we have is that we have unrealistic expectations of the church. As if the church should be filled with perfect people free from problems. But folks, just a very, very casual reading of the New Testament clearly demonstrates that that is the furthest thing from the truth. The church is a mixed multitude. I mean, you know, Christ talked about hey, in the church, you're going to have tares that grow up right in the middle of the wheat. I mean, you're going to have, you know, counterfeit believers. Uh, You're going to have believers at all levels of maturity, uh, coming from all sorts of backgrounds and struggling with all sorts of strongholds. Uh, That's the reality. So listen now, the mark of a healthy church is not being free from problem children. But whether or not the church ministers to those problem children following God's instructions. Motivated by love. Love for God and love for the individual. And please notice, don't miss this. The responsibility to minister to the problem children does not fall on the leadership alone, but the entire church. Verse 14 reads, And we urge you, brethren, a clear reference to the entire church family. We're all to embrace this responsibility. And when any one of us becomes aware of one of these problem children, we should step to the plate and we should get involved. So look with me now, uh, very quickly as we close out at four types of problem children that will be in every church and the actions we should take toward them. The first thing that he says is admonish the unruly. Fascinating word, that word unruly in the Greek text. Uh, That was used in a military context. And it referred to a soldier who was out of rank and behaved in a disorderly or insubordinate manner. So here we're talking about the disobedient child. We're talking about that problem child in the church family that is walking in rebellion. That is not submitting to Christ. That is being disobedient. And what is the action we're to take towards the unruly? We're to admonish them in other words, to put it in very simplistic terms, we're to lovingly confront them. We're to challenge them that this is inconsistent with love for Christ. It's inconsistent with the way a Christian should walk. But you're telling them that not to destroy them or get rid of them but you want to help you know you want to assist and this can be a tough one I've been around a good little while in church ministry and praise God there are people that you'll go to in these situations that uh, God has been working on there's a great degree of brokenness and you're really able to to minister in a very powerful way there are others that when you initially go to them they're very resistant can be very hard You say, well, what do I do there? You keep going to them. You keep loving them. I mean, just it, it's, it's not that complicated. Think of that concept of a family, you parents with children. You're not going to let your child just continue to go down a direction of behavior or attitudes or think that you know is going to be destructive of their lives. So love demands that you, what? you intervene. Again, lovingly. I mean, in other words, as I intervene in this person's life, I want to clearly communicate to them, and I hope they understand. Hey, there's nothing that you could ever do that would stop me from loving you. Nothing you could ever do that would stop me from loving you. That's the one thing you can be certain of. I will love you no matter what. But because I do love you, I need to challenge you. At this point. Look at the second type of problem child. He says encourage the faint hearted. That is an interesting word. That word fainthearted hearted. Literally in the Greek text. Means to be small souled The soul. Inside. Small souled It's talking about that person. That's been beaten up in life. In other words. You, you see there. The discouraged child. That's what we're talking about here. The despondent child. The discouraged child that, again, has been beaten up by life. they been beaten up by adversity or suffering, and, and they're just ready to throw in the towel. They're, they're just ready to quit. They, they give up. All they do is they, they see themselves as failures, and, and they've just fallen into despair, into worry, anxiety, depression, what it might be, and for the discouraged child, What are we to do for them? Encourage. And that word literally in the Greek means to come along their side to assist them. To let them know, hey, I understand. I've been where you are. Life is a struggle. And living here on planet earth... And maintaining our faith in Christ is a challenge. It is a challenge. And it is hard. But I want you to know something. You're not going to have to walk this path alone. I'll be there for you. To encourage you. I can't necessarily walk the path for you. But I can walk the path with you. And I can assist you. Look at the third one that he mentions. He says, "Help the weak." This would be the dependent child, and this, when we say weak, this could be a multitude of things. This could literally be talking about physical weakness, someone suffering uh, an illness, uh, a sickness. This could be referring to emotional weakness. This could be referring to uh, spiritual uh, weakness. This could be referring to that uh, uh, new believer who doesn't understand their liberties in Christ and they're still very legalistic and very narrow. uh, And uh, so it could be a a number of different things. And what does he say with the weak? Help them. Help them. Do do you love the simplicity of this? And And just... it's not complicated. It's just a matter of living it out. You know, I think of... We, we looked at an earlier message at a one another verse in Galatians chapter 6 which reads, bear one another's... What? Burdens. And thus fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And that's what we're talking about. We, we every one of us, hit times in life... Where our strength is just sapped from us. And and we need somebody to come along our side and just help. Whether it's, again, a word of encouragement. Whether it's some financial help. uh, Whether it's practical help in 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 another way. Whatever it might be. And then look at the fourth problem Toddie mentions. um, To be patient with everyone. I think what he's referring here to, there's a lot of different words you could use for this. I had to keep my alliteration with D's, so I just said the difficult child. But what I'm talking about is the irregular child. And every church family has them. I mean, folks that are just different. And in that difference and their quirkiness, they can be very difficult. And often there will just, they'll just, they'll just be a drain on you. And so what does the Paul, Apostle Paul say about these difficult people, these, these irregular uh, people that can be very hard, that can be very draining? He says, be patient. Be patient with everyone. The word is macrothumia in the Greek text. You know what the word literally means? Be long suffering. That's what it means. And to be even more specific, to be long suffering as opposed to hasty anger or punishment. And he says, "Be patient." Uh, maybe this will help you. It helps me sort of put all this together. Uh, and maybe it'll help you, the simplicity of it. Admonish the unruly. When I think of that, what helps me, what I use to help me remember that, you point the finger and you basically say, no more. Enough of is enough. This is not right. And again, out of love. The faint-hearted persons you encourage have the picture. With them, you're not pointing the finger, but you're What? Picture putting your arm around them, to be close to them, to encourage them. For the weak person that needs help, their think it's not just simply putting your arm around them, but you're actually grabbing them and providing support for a time. You're, you're being a crutch for a period of time. It's not that you're assuming responsibility for life for them, but you realize right now they're weak, right now they have a burden that's too heavy that's going to just absolutely crush them and I need to come along their side, get up under that burden and, and help them lift it and, and, and car- help carry them through this time. And then the irregular, difficult people, what I think of in my mind, just think, arms open wide, always ready to welcome them one more time as difficult as that may be. Amen. Because, you know, we we, we talked about this in an earlier message from uh, Philippians 2. That uh, we saw that in God's sovereignty, every person He brings into your life. Every person that He brings into this church family is God's gift. God's gift to provide the opportunity to learn how to love. And that's why God allows this. He allows us the opportunity to learn how to love the unruly, to love the faint-hearted, the discouraged child, the dependent child, or the difficult child. And then as we close, quickly, look at the attitudes to maintain. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. Again, folks, my time's gone, but just to keep it simple. I, again, I've been in the ministry now since 1970, 1970. And, uh, and, and the greatest trial in ministry, uh, I, w- I would say there's two, if you want me to be just totally transparent, uh, challenges. When you're committed to promoting the spiritual growth of people, let me tell you, you develop a hatred for sin. Um, And and it's difficult from a ministering perspective to always being always having to deal with the consequences of sin and to see the suffering that it that that it brings. The uh, the other thing that is challenging is often the people that you are sincerely loving and they will lash out at you. It's, it's amazing to see this, but it happens, especially with the unruly. How you become enemy number one, because right now they're not walking in the light, they're walking in darkness. So anything that represents the light, they hate. And, so they come, and, that, and that's painful when you're attempting to love people and uh, you're wounded by them. So I think that's why Paul says, hey, uh, in a church that's filled with people from all different perspectives, backgrounds, situations... Uh, you're going to get bumped. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get wounded. Sometimes it won't be an, an intentional on the person's part. They, they, they would not have realized that they did this to you. They didn't really mean to do it. It wasn't their heart's intent. Other times, it was their heart intent to hurt you. So, but either way, he says, see to it that no one repays another with evil for evil. But as it says in Romans 12, what? Overcome evil with what? Good. And that takes us to the next point. But always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. And circle that word, word good. That word good in the context means what will promote their spiritual growth. So that's why it can be tough loving people. Uh, you know, there's got to be a tenderness of love, but there's got to be a toughness in love. You don't give people necessarily every time what they want. You give them what they truly need. And they need Christ and His Word and His truth. And so, he says, as you relate to one another in the church family, as you deal with these problem children, hey, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get wounded, you're going to be misunderstood, you're going to be criticized, but just don't, don't lash back, don't repay another uh, for evil for evil instead seek after that which is good for that individual you know if, you, if you're dealing with a disobedient child or a discouraged child or a dependent child or difficult put your focus on them as, as we saw again back in Philippians 2 do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard others what? more important than yourself do not look to your own interest but what? to their interest but again this doesn't mean they get what they want it means you're looking out for their spiritual interest. And that's where love has to be both tender and tough. So I trust a very practical message uh, today on esteeming leaders. And dealing with problem children uh, within the family of God. And, and this is what we're going to do as we close. As I mentioned, if you're visiting, it's it's our habit here at Edgewood. That when we come out of a Lord's Supper... Uh, We provide opportunity for the church family to minister to one another. We believe this is a a critical uh, aspect of the Lord's Supper that that we see in the Scripture, that we're to wait on one another, serve one another during this time. So in just a moment, I will give you the freedom to to, to move about. Uh, uh, This is time for you to, you know, we were looking to Jesus. Now look around you. Look at people that, in this, that you know are struggling, that are hurting. To express your love for them, to encourage them. Or, or maybe someone you want to express appreciation to that's meant a lot to you. Also, it's a two-way street. If you're struggling, don't be afraid to go to one of these elders down here, one of these deacons. They'll be here and say, hey, would you please pray for me? Because I have this particular adversity. I, I, would you pray for my healing? Would you pray for my emotional support and stamina? Would you pray for my spiritual growth? Deliverance from this stronghold? Whatever it might be. So you know, you take the initiative to share with others what you're struggling with. So that they can know that they can minister uh, to you. Now when we give you this freedom. You may just want to remain right where you are. And just continue to worship. I would ask no one Leave. We're going to close the service in just a few minutes. And uh, once we close the service, you can continue to minister to one another. Uh, But this is a very, very important time in our fellowship and in our worship. So right now, I'm going to give you the freedom uh, to move about, to express your love and encouragement. For one another, to pray for one another. Again, we have elders and deacons down here at the front that are available to you, so please feel free to come down. I will remain right here. Uh, If someone has a a decision of any nature they would like to make, profession of faith, uh, desiring to unite with our church family, I'll remain right here for you. But right now, feel free just to get up, move about, minister to one another, and then we'll close the service out in just about three, four minutes.